Guys, um, I want to remind you that it's October, and um, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know what we're going to do about. That's um, that's my drawing of the ark. Uh, do you know? Do you know what to do? <laughs> I'm glad you do. Um, uh, it's October, and we're nominating men for the office of elder. So these blue forms will help you do that. If you're a member of this church and over 17, you can uh, or 18, I forget. But um, uh, you can nominate somebody, um, a man that you as many as you like, and um, you might want to read on the back the qualifications, and, and might want to search out Titus one and First Timothy three. So that, that's still going on. Also, just as a quick little tidbit. Um, you know, being the technological junkie that I am, um, and being, having to be on the cutting edge of all technology, that's just who I am. Um, I bought my wife a new, uh, uh, iPad, um, because it was time to, and I mean, we have the, uh, <laughs> whatever it's called, uh, it's the, uh, but anyway, she had this iPad, uh, third generation and she, uh, had one of these things and I think they cost like $50 and she can't use it anymore because it doesn't fit. If anybody wants this, we'd love to give it to you for $75. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yours if you like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get back to the text. Uh, Galatians chapter two. Um, uh, is, did that brother leave, uh, from, uh, from Cuba? Are you out there somewhere? He left. Okay, all right. Um, Galatians chapter 2. Let me read you um, a paragraph. It starts in verse 6 and ends in verse 10. So um, let, me, let me read that to you. But from those who seem to be nothing, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel... For the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Guys, here's what I'm going to do with that. I did this, with, I did this same thing with the, with the paragraph right above. And instead of trying to plow through it, you know, kind of word by word through each verse, um, what I'm going to try to do is lift out the lessons that I think, and I'm sure there are others that you could find and, and develop uh, uh, equally as well. But I, I just want to mention three things that I think are in this paragraph that are, that are by way of instruction and then, and then leave the rest um, uh, maybe unmentioned, or maybe you can suggest um, uh, what should be discussed later. But anyway, uh, there's just three lessons that I want to talk to, about, talk to you about. And, and you know, Jim Dunlap, uh, in his giantly tacky way, uh, asked me while uh, supper was going on if there was going to be anything new tonight. <laughs> and, um, and I told him uh, emphatically, no, no, it was all going to be uh, old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have three little lessons out of this paragraph, and one of them is pretty old. It's something that I've discussed before, but I want to do it rather briefly. But in, in all candor, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty important. If you've never heard of this, um, 
you, you probably need to know this term and you need to know why it is, um, it is rather um, significant and why it is untrue. The, the term that I have introduced to you before and I have, I have talked to you about before is the term of petrine primacy. Um, that, is, that simply means the primacy of Peter. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is, insists on this thing called the primacy of Peter. And the whole um, uh, d- development of the, the office of the Pope, uh, the whole papal system uh, is rooted in and bound up in this thing called Petrine primacy. That is, Peter was the apostle to the apostles. He was the number one head dude and um, let me just put another, uh, you, can put, you can talk about papal primacy. The papal, you know, the, papal is a word that just, point, it just equals pope. Um, the, 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 uh, the authority of the pope is, is derived from this, that Peter was the first pope, and then all other popes have, um, have been in some way related, some way, to Peter. And that's what Petrine primacy is. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not, um, it's not a small issue. In Roman Catholicism, um, <clears throat> one of the significant issues has to do with this very thing. And, and I'll show you why. Guys, in evangelicalism, we believe in something called sola scriptura. You ever heard of that? Sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. That is that we as evangelicals, have one source of authority. Okay? That source of authority is scriptura, (laughs) the scripture. In Roman Catholicism, there are three sources of authority. Um, You have scripture. That's one source of authority. But you also have uh, church, church tradition, which is another source of authority, but uh, right at the top is um, papal infallibility. Um, that the Pope is infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. Now, here's, here's my point. If there is no such thing as Petrine primacy, if that's not true, then this whole thing is debunked. And that's huge. Whereas evangelicals have one source of authority, Scripture, Roman Catholicism has three sources of authority, but it's rooted in this thing called papal infallibility. And if this is not true, then this is not true, then this is not true. And then where does Rome turn for authority? So, I mean, I, do, I have discussed this with you before, but I, my point is I think it's twice found in this text. Uh, for instance, you will notice that at the, at the end of this little skirmish that takes place here, the end result is that you find Paul and Peter on equal footing. Peter's going to go to the Jews. Paul is going to go to the Gentiles. But they're on equal footing. Gang, and, and I'm guessing here and estimating, the church at this point is about 20 years old. The, the new thing called the Christian church. <clears throat> I, that's estimated. I don't know that for sure. But it's at least 10 years old. What Rome insists is that Peter 
had a role of primacy. He was, he was primary over all of the other apostolate. That's not what you see in this text. You see Peter and Paul on equal footing. They're going in different directions. Yes, he's going to go to the Jews. He's going to go to the Gentiles. But there is no primacy of Peter. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, the, um, in a couple of, well, oh, late October, when we get to a verse 11, when this whole big fight uh, erupts between Peter and Paul, you know about that? That's, that's coming up. If anything, ladies and gentlemen, in that section of Galatians 2, Peter looks really bad. Because, you know, Paul jumps him and, uh, to his face and it's a big public fight that they have. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is in this section of Galatians 2, you don't find any primacy of Peter. These two are on equal footing. And, and, if, and if anything, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to examine um, the, the New Testament record, Paul probably trafficked in the miraculous far more than did Peter. Look it up. But there's one other place in here that I want you to see, which I think undercuts this whole Petrine primacy thing. Look at it. It's in verse um, 9. And when James, Cephas, or Peter, and John. Notice, James is mentioned first. If Peter were primary, he wouldn't be mentioned second. James is mentioned first, guys, because James is the... He is the uh, titular head of the church at this moment. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about this big meeting that takes place in Acts 15? It's It's the council at Jerusalem. Who is in charge of that meeting? James is, not Peter. James is in, and here you see that reflected. As you turn over into verse 11 and and following um, in Galatians 2, you're going to find that people came from James, not Peter. Guys, all I'm saying is this whole idea that is so important and central to the whole Roman Catholic system, a Petrine primacy, cannot be substantiated from this paragraph. And if it can't, then this whole thing is at stake. And then their whole views of authority are ruined. That's what's at stake. And by the way, this is not the only place. You know, I I preached from John 13 on Sunday morning, and and it was about that whole Judas betrayal thing. And do you remember, um, uh, you know, Jesus says, somebody's going to betray me. And uh, Peter, you know, they're reclining at table. They're laying on an elbow. You know, the the whole Da Vinci picture is wrong. They weren't sitting at a table, ladies and gentlemen. There was no table to sit at. They were reclining at the, they recline on an elbow. And and so um, uh, Peter is somewhere on the other side of the room. And who's sitting next to Jesus? Well, it's John, not Peter. Who's the one that's the beloved? Well, it's John, not Peter. Who's the one that says, hey, John, ask your buddy there who's going to betray him? 
It's not Peter in a, in a primary role, ladies and gentlemen. At it, 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 that point, it's John. All I'm trying to debunk is the idea of John or Peter being the first pope. Nonsense. Um, you don't see it here. You don't, I'll tell you one other place, and I've, I've done this to you before too. It's in Matthew 16, which is the, the, the place where, the Rome, where Rome turns to establish this thing. Where it says, where Jesus is upon this rock, I will build my church. And Rome says, that's where Peter was established as the first pope. I think that's in Matthew 16, 23, something like that. If you go to Matthew 18, 1, there's this big discussion going on in the disciples as to who is the greatest. Gang, if Peter was established as the pope here, then the other 11 guys didn't know it because a chapter later, they're asking the question among themselves, who's the greatest? Do you see the point? Guys, to me, this is a hugely significant thing, but it's old, Jim, I'm sorry. Um, but it's huge because it's not defended here and it is, it is central to a Roman Catholic system that, that, that crumbles if if this goes, that goes, and the system begins to unravel. Okay, okay, that's that's the that's the old one. Let's let's look if we can let's see if we can find a couple of new things. Um, first of all, guys, take a look with me at verse six. Uh, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, added nothing to me. Gang, verse 6 raises a rather significant issue in the 21st century evangelical world. It's the whole issue of celebrity status and the existence of celebrities in the church. Um, You know, you got the big names, uh, the big guns, etc. There is now a category... Um, in evangelicalism called the Christian famous. I read an article, I think it was a blog several months ago, uh, about this issue, about the celebrity status in the evangelicalism. And the author was describing a conference that he had attended. Um, it, was a, it, was not a, it was not a rock concert, it was... He said it's like a rock concert, but it was, a, it was a conference. It was a teaching conference where there were some pretty big names, names that you would, that you would recognize that were, on the, that were going to be teaching. He said that the people acted just like they were at a rock concert. That they gathered at the doors. They were in, and you know, the, the doors didn't open until 5 before the 7 o'clock. So they gathered at the doors. So when the doors were open, they raced in so that they could get on the front row. And some person, well, one person, I guess, or some were taking book bags and throwing them to the front row so that they could be on the front row uh, for, the, for the conference. And this author of the blog was talking about the tendency in 21st century evangelicalism to make heroes out of people instead of a determination to follow Christ. Guys, some of you know the name Francis Chan. 
he wrote the book Crazy Love that uh, many of you have read. He's written another book called um, The Forgotten God, which is about the Holy Spirit, which he's absolutely right. I think God, the Holy Spirit, gets short shrift. Um, <clears throat> Francis Chan pattered, pastors, or pastored a church out in California that was wildly successful, and he was a part of the Christian famous. He just left his church. Um, no scandals, no other woman, no stealing money. He left it for this reason. He said, in this congregation, these people to whom I minister talk more about me than they do about Jesus. So he left. And he went to China. As I understand it, it seems, that the article that I read, he's, he's going to come back in January. But he left his church. Because of this issue of, of celebrity status. Now, I, I want to talk to you about that just, for, just briefly. Because I think what you find here in verse 6 is that Paul um, disdains this whole idea of there being some hot shots. Do you see what he says? I don't care who they were. It makes no difference to me. God shows, shows personal favoritism to no man. By the way, the Greek right there is so interesting. The Greek says, God does not receive the face of a man. He doesn't care that you're cute. <laughs> and, and this, um, for those who seem to be something, to have this aura of significance, they, 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 they're adding nothing to me. Um, now, before I comment, I got to say a couple of quick things. Or three quick, folks. If this if this lesson is not intended for any of you, it's intended for me. And I would say for John Otley, and for every other pastor that's in this this room, Randy Carson's, you know, at least for us, this is intended. You know, um, when you're when you're not one that is a celebrity, like myself, um, it's easy to be viewed as being sour grapes. The reason that he's attacking that whole issue of celebrity status is because he just is envious that he's not one. Probably true. I can tell you this. In my world, in my world of clergy, um... This, this celebrity status is a quiet lust. And you can go to meetings, which I did, on, I did yesterday, a Presbytery meeting, and, and the conversations, you can hear it bleeding out. Um, now, I'm suggesting that verse 6 is... I, I, I don't think Paul was even having to face this idea of celebrity status like we are. But because of the social media, it, um, <clears throat> I mean, people turn Bible teachers into rock stars. And, um, and it ain't doing us a bit of good. Now, I also want to suggest that there is a remedy found in this text. Um, it's found in verses 7 and 8. This, this remedy, if one is needed, which I think there is, um, a remedy for this, this celebrity status issue is found right here. Let me read it to you. But on the, con- but on the contrary, 
when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the uncircumcised was committed to Peter, because the one who worked effectively in Peter worked also effectively in me. Um, and when James, Stephen, and John seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, etc. There, I think, is the remedy, guys. And here's what I mean. It is God who assigns the tasks, the roles, the ministries, just as he sees fit. He sovereignly dispenses salvation, yes, and he sovereignly dispenses ministry assignments, gifts, and distributes as he wills. Gang, the, the, uh, the whole parable of the, um, it's in uh, Matthew 25, the, the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent. Do you know why you have one talent and I have 17? <laughs> it's just a joke. Um, do you know why you got two and she got five? Because God saw fit to distribute it that way. That's the point of that parable, ladies and gentlemen. God gave five talents to him, two talents to him, and one talent. He distributes as he wills. <clears throat> um, consequently, um, if we're going to solve this celebrity thing, which I think it is fair to say humility would be the solution, but humility does not, does not mean uh, pretending to be worthless or, or refusing positions of, of responsibility. Humility means that we, that we are knowing and keeping the place that God has assigned to us. Um, as for Paul, his ministry was to the Gentiles. So he need not envy Peter, whose ministry was to the Jews. Guys, the, the way I think that we clergy, and perhaps any others of you who may struggle here, the way that you escape this envy thing is a matter of, us, of accepting God's assignment. Whether that assignment means high exposure and leadership, or whether that assignment means obscurity. I am here because God put me here. Guys, there is a, what did I do with it? There's a book that I brought, there it is. Um, this was a book written years ago by Francis Schaeffer. Many of you know the name Francis Schaeffer. And uh, the title of the book is No Little People. <laughs> and on the back of it, he's got a picture and he's really kind of funky looking. But uh, there's a quote, with God, there are no little people there are no little places. To, to, to overturn this, this ugly, godless thing called the Christian famous, this is, what's, this is the remedy. There's no little people. There's no little places. And they're not little people because God gifted them as he saw fit. And they are not little places. Because God put them there. God put me here. He put you there. He put you over there. That's the remedy. And that's what I think you see in, in Galatians chapter 2. Paul recognizes that he has his own designated assignment. And thus he didn't have to envy Peter's. 
and, and I, I will say this. I think the application goes way beyond the clergy. I say to you, there's no little people and there's no little assignments. There's no little people out there, ladies and gentlemen. There's not a little person out there. God has, has equipped you. He has gifted you just as he saw fit for his own purposes. He sovereignly dispenses as he sees fit. That ought to be celebrated. The role that he has assigned me is this one. The role that he has assigned you is this one. And thus, um, we, don't, we don't elevate people to this, this, um, this celebrity thing that is doing a whole lot more damage than it's doing good. Can you imagine kids in their zeal running into a, a, a Christian conference and throwing their book bag so that they can get the front row? How hideous is that? I mean, it is to me. It's just, uh, no, no, God is, God is gifted as he saw fit. He's put us all in places that he, that he assigns, just like you see taking place in the life of the, the apostle Paul here. Now, that's the second lesson, the Petrine primacy. That's the second one. Now, here's the third one and the final one. It, um, I, I want to take you back up. Well, I want to take you to verse 9. No, 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 not verse 9. Verse 6. Back to verse 6. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something, here it is, added. They added nothing to me. Now, guys, um, what does Paul have in mind when he says added? It's certainly not, not to his person. They didn't add a, um, a, a, a load of bricks for him to carry. It's not, he's not describing they added something to his person, but they didn't add anything to his message. Okay, you got to get that straight. They added nothing to his message. They had this little conflab here. And, and they, they, they came to the conclusion um, and nothing needs to be changed about the message that Paul is preaching. Nothing was added. Um, and by the way, you know, back in that Acts 15 passage that I mentioned a, a, a little while ago about uh, where this whole issue comes up about whether you're going to insist that converts get circumcised or not, there, there is a statement that, that um, I, I want to read it to you. This is uh, Acts 15, 24. Since we heard that some of you went out from us, have troubled you with words unsettling to your souls. Here's my point. When people start adding things to the message, the impact that it has on God's people is it's unsettling to their souls. It really is, ladies and gentlemen. And let me make the point. Um, there are ways that we work at adding things to the message today. Um, oh, we all know that we're saved by faith alone, you know, ah, yes. But um, you can only be sure you're saved if you... For the charismatic world, it's if you speak in tongues, then you're acceptable. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an addition to the message. Um, if you went through our new members class... And if you remember the video that I showed, I was the only man on that panel. No, that's not true. Uh, Jim Hamill was, um, Jim Hamill and I were the only two on that panel saying that church membership is not required for you to go to heaven. Do you remember that? Remember that guy down there? He says, I think you've got to do, remember all that? That's an addition, ladies and gentlemen. 
That's adding things to the gospel. And what it does is it unsettles and troubles God's people. Well, made it, wait a minute. Did I, did I do right? I mean, did I, did I believe right? Did I, you know, have I not spoken in tongues? Yeah. It, it, it's unsettling. And then, of course, the, the other... <clears throat> Sorry, Jim, this is old too. Um, but it, uh, the other classic addition is, of course, baptism. Here I am picking on baptism again. Um, but guys, I am a PCA ordained pastor. You know what that is? That's the Presbyterian Church in America. It's a bunch of conservative guys, you know, fuddy-duddies, but we're, you know, R.C. Sproul, Jim Kennedy, Francis Schaefer. Those are the PCA guys that you might recognize. Um, if the Southern Baptist Convention, let's say, or say that the Church of Christ would not accept a PCA baptism, what is the implication of that? The implication, at least partially at least, I think is unavoidable, is that 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 PCA group in some ways is substandard. It's sub-church. It's, um, it's not... It's, there, there needs to be something else than what he's got. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you, you say, well, that's, that's kind of far-fetched. I, I want you to know, I'll tell you the story. This happened to my daughter and son-in-law in Washington, D.C. And I don't know if I've ever told you this story. But my daughter, Megan, and Scott were attending a Baptist church on, on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. They were called, by the way, my daughter is, a, <laughs> is the daughter of a PCA pastor. I don't know whether y'all could connect those dots. That's a, and her, her husband that she married was also raised in the PCA church in Jackson, Mississippi. When they moved to Washington, D.C., the first place that they found that they enjoyed was a Baptist church on Capitol Hill. I could tell you the name, but I don't want to. Um, they were called in by the pastor and told to leave. They, they were told, if you will not be rebaptized by us, you need to leave this church. Which they did. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what does that say? You know, one of the things that I, wanted to, I want you to see in this text and, and we gotta, is that in some ways, verse 9 is really the climax of the whole thing where it says, um, uh, and when James and Cephas and John, and who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. What is that? They're shaking hands. You know, they shook on it. What is it that they shook on? Here's what they shook on, ladies and gentlemen. They shook on that the only grounds of, the only essential grounds a fellowship that will bind us is our commonality in Christ. But there's a church saying, you're substandard, you get out of here because you didn't do it like this. That's an addition, ladies and gentlemen. That's an addition to the gospel. So this thing that, is, that Paul is alluding to in verse 6 it's happening among us, guys. Guys, um, 
our only basis for fellowship with each other is the centrality of the finished work of Christ. By the way, this is, I gotta hurry. Um, this whole scene, you know, from verses 1 through 10, is it, uh, it starts with Paul coming to Jerusalem and bringing Titus. Do you remember that? I love this, and I, and I got all worked up about it when I talked. But, I mean, he just kind of rammed him down their throats. But do you know what takes place? Paul brings Titus into the room with James, you know, Peter and all the bigwigs, all the celebrities. And um, he says, all right, there he is. Talk to him. Ask him. Question him. And as a result of that questioning, the bigwigs came to the conclusion that the gospel of grace will change anyone. And so they said, way to go, Paul. Go get them. You know, I wonder, if I brought you to one of those meetings and you were examined like that, would people be able to conclude just out of what comes out of your mouth that what you got is the same thing they got? Would that happen? Um, Titus is a piece of fruit from Paul's ministry. And the change in his life was the thing that ultimately resulted in the whole Christian church uniting over this. The only sufficient basis for fellowship among us is our commonality in Christ. Not whether you've spoken in tongues, not whether you're a member of this church, and not whether you've been baptized in the way that we approve. Those are additions, ladies and gentlemen. They're incrustations, and they do nothing but upset and harm God's people. Now, I want to read you one thing. I got four minutes. I want to read you one thing, and then I'll quit. You know, the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes um, because he goes to town with Titus, and I told you he kind of crammed down his throat and said, listen, you go ahead, look at it. And then after you've talked to him, then you tell me that what I'm preaching is wrong. Go ahead, go ahead, I'll get, have at it. And all the, all the bigwigs said, my goodness, God has done this. But Paul, I mean, his, his tone in this paragraph is, you know, they didn't teach me nothing. There's, there's a certain Stubbornness about him. The stubbornness that I just think is so danged beautiful. This is from Martin Luther. This is out of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And I wanted to read it to you. Um, Let this be then the conclusion of all together. That we will suffer our goods to be taken away. Our name, our life, and all that we have. But the gospel... Our faith, Jesus Christ, we will never suffer to be wrested from us. And cursed be that humility which here abaseth and submitteth itself. Nay, rather let every Christian man here be proud and spare not, except he will deny Christ. Wherefore, God assisting me, this is, 
Wherefore, God assisting me, my forehead shall be more hard than all men's foreheads. You hardhead, you. Here I take upon me this title, according to the proverb, Tito Newley, I give place to none. Yea, I am glad even with all my heart in this point to seem rebellious and obstinate. And here I confess that I am and ever will be stout and stern and will not one inch give place to any creature. Over what? Baptism? No, ladies and gentlemen. A simple gospel message as to what does it take to convert a Gentile, uncircumcised Titus for that. For heaven's sakes, call me hard-headed. I'll be charitable over baptism. Some places don't seem to be want to share that charity. But we will not give an inch, says Martin Luther, when it comes to the simple message of our commonality in Christ. That, I think, are three of the lessons found in that text. Let's quit. Heavenly Father, uh, use your word to stir your people. Might this be our, um, our only place of authority. Uh, we love it. We thank you for it. And we pray that you'll help us to not simply know it and, um, and get puffed up because we do, but that it might be the thing that chips away at all that ugly stuff in us, like perhaps the desire for, for status, the desire for celebrity status. Oh Lord, if it's there, would you chip away at it and uh, turn us into people who, like Paul, don't give one whit about who people are and what they look like and what their assignment is, as long as they know that the assignment that you've given to them is the one that they're executing by your grace. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and we do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord.